Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's open them to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we'll give our attention once more to verses 13 through 17. Mark 2, 13 through 17. While you're finding your place in a copy of God's Word, let me extend an invitation to you once more uh, to make plans and join us following the second service in our fellowship hall. It is uh, Family Derby Day, and uh, we will have a lunch available, uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, along with sides and fixings for that. And uh, all the proceeds of that lunch go to support uh, our children's preteen camp that will take place later this summer. And so you can come out and support a good cause, have a good lunch, and if you so desire, you can stick around and take in all the racing action that will go on uh, here a little bit later this afternoon. And it really is an exciting time as we see all of our uh, little ones put their cars on the track and race them, and then it gets really exciting when the adults put their cars on the track and race them. Uh, as I told them in the first service, you began to see uh, our sinful nature coming to the surface in the midst of all this heated competition of racing little wooden pine cars down a track. But it is a good time, and uh, support's a good call. So come out and join us uh, following the service in the fellowship hall for that. To-go plates are available, so if you can't stick around uh, for all the races, you can get a lunch and uh, grab it to go also. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to read, you follow along, and hear the Word of God this morning. He, that is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray once more. Our God and our King, you are Lord of all. Christ is the cornerstone. And as we come to your word now, we pray that you would speak for your servants who are listening. Father, I ask today that you would help us to proclaim your word in demonstration and power of your Holy Spirit, that it might go out today and accomplish eternal purposes. Father, I pray today that you would work to open our eyes that we may see, Father, our ears that we may hear, and God, give us hearts today that will be soft to receive what you say. For we ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we looked at these verses, 
as we considered the call of Levi to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. We talked about what it means to make disciples, what it means to be a disciple, as we looked at the call in the life of Levi. Well, this morning as we come back to these verses, I want us to consider the second half of these uh, verses today. Uh, We looked last week at the call of Levi, and I mentioned briefly that Jesus also confronted the legalists, a group of Pharisees, uh, that looked at what took place in the call of Levi and the ensuing party that was thrown, with many tax collectors and sinners coming to Jesus. And uh, in the midst of that, Jesus, seeking to answer their inquiry, their question, why does Jesus hang out with people like this? Why does he hang out with someone like Levi, who in Jesus' day was uh, really at the bottom of the totem pole, morally speaking? Uh, He was a crook, he was a swindler, he was an outcast in the Jewish culture. And they couldn't fathom how someone of Jesus' uh, level, of his teaching, of his position, uh, would enjoy fellowship and intimate friendship and have a follower like Levi, not Not to say as well, all the other tax collectors and sinners, the morally impure people that he was hanging around. They couldn't understand that, so they asked the inquiry, why does he eat with people like this? And it was really more of an accusation, how can Jesus be with all of these people? And while they didn't address the question specifically to Jesus, it was within earshot, he heard it and his response to them was, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here in this text this morning, we have Jesus presenting himself to us as the great physician. The great physician. One of the many blessings that we enjoy in our modern culture today are the advancements that have been made in the medical field and medical technology I'm always amazed at how speedily and rapidly and sometimes even conveniently many of our physical ailments can be treated. We all know someone who's going into the hospital for a surgery, and in our minds and our eyes, it's kind of complex and pretty invasive and extensive, and we ask them, well, how long are they going to keep you? And the answer is typically, well, they're just going to send me home when they get done. I'll go in that morning, I'll be home by that afternoon. And it's amazing to me that we are taking parts of our body out and sending people home the very next day. That coupled with all the means that we have now in pharmacology and medicines that can be administered and are available, it's absolutely astonishing. But with all the resources that we enjoy in our medical field, all the advancements that have been made, one thing is still necessary. Because all of that comes to us only through the direction and supervision of a doctor. It comes to us through one who practices medicine. And when we understand that and know that, we always desire to find the best doctor that we can. Everyone wants a good doctor. Sometimes you hear people lament the fact that their doctor is Uh, retiring, no longer going to practice medicine. He's been a good one and they lose him or maybe insurance coverage changes and the doctor that they so enjoyed, they're no longer able to go and see or maybe they're moving out of an area, which means they won't be able to go to that practice any longer. Everyone wants a good doctor. We understand how important they are. But what is it that makes a doctor good? What is it that makes a good doctor? Well, just a couple of thoughts came to my mind. One, is availability. 
If they are a good doctor, we as sick patients have access to them. It does you no good to have the best doctor in the world if you can't be seen by them. Uh, Sometimes we grow frustrated when we go to the doctor and we have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Seems like we're always waiting in the the doctor's office there. And then when we get to see the doctor, uh, sometimes they're only with us for just a few moments and we feel like, man, I, I don't have access to them. So a good doctor is one who is available, one that we can have access to. A good doctor is one who has knowledge in the medicine that they practice. They have understanding. It would be a little bit concerning if we were going to a doctor and they had no clue about what our issue is and they were trying to provide some treatment for it. We want someone who understands, someone who knows, someone who has insight into the condition that we may be experiencing. And then a good doctor is one who can provide a sound uh, treatment plan, one who can lead us to overcome uh, whatever the issue is that we may be facing, someone who can take us down the right path of healing. So a good doctor is available, they have knowledge, and they give wise, sound, and appropriate treatment. Well, this morning, as we consider Jesus as the great physician, we'll see him as a good doctor. But Jesus practices not in the physical arena, but rather in the spiritual one. Jesus is the great physician of our souls this morning. He is the one who can bring the cure that we desperately need to our greatest issue. Jesus said in response to the, the Pharisees, I call the righteous not sinners. And he makes that statement based upon the proverb that he had just given, The well need no physician, but only the sick. Jesus says, I am the doctor for those who are spiritually sick, the great physician of souls. As we think about that this morning, kind of leading us into these verses at the end of our text today, I want to share with you three thoughts. Three thoughts about Jesus as our great physician today. First of all, I want you to think with me for just a moment about Jesus' association with sinners. Jesus' association with sinners. This is his accessibility for those who are sinfully sick. And it's that association with sinners, the likes of Levi and his friends that the Bible speaks about here in verse number 15, the sinners and tax collectors that were sharing a meal with Jesus, fellowshipping with him. It's that that really drives these verses this morning. Jesus has been counted as a friend of sinners. And because of that, it brings about the ire of the religious elite of Jesus' day, the Pharisees. We looked at them a little bit last week. These were uh, an elite group of people, just middle-class people in Jesus' day, who lived very strict lives in accordance with the law. And not just the law that God gave Moses in the Old Testament, but laws that they had invented themselves. It was a practice that they wanted to see others adhere to and follow after. And when you didn't, they would look down upon you. They would not associate with you. And it's this contrast here that kind of sets the stage for Jesus revealing himself as the great physician of our souls. His association with the likes of Levi and tax collectors and sinners is contrasted to the Pharisees' isolation from people like that. We're told in the verses that the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. 
And I think that's an important clue to what was going on in this scene. The Pharisees and the scribes were not inside the house where this meal was taking place. They were simply passing by, and upon passing by, they could look, and maybe it was in the courtyard or a large room with an open window, and they could see in and observe what was going on, and they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that Jesus was in there with people like this. For a Pharisee, for one who held to a strict uh, adherence to keeping the law, for for priding themselves in their their religious uh, approach to life, they wouldn't even think about going into the house of a Pharisee, or excuse me, the house of a tax collector, of, of having a dinner with someone like these people. And so they're just walking by and they observe it taking place and they can't believe it. And so they, they make this inquiry, this accusation, and Jesus tells them, these are the people that I've come for. I've come to be with people just like this. But why is that? Why does Jesus associate himself with sinners like us? Well, I think there's two reasons. And the two reasons that I want to share with you are are captured in Luke chapter 15. When you go to Luke 15, you'll find a a similar situation unfolding as what we have here in our text in Mark chapter 2. In Luke 15, the Pharisees ask the same question of Jesus. He is receiving sinners and tax collectors. He's eating with them. And they ask the same question. Why is Jesus doing this? How can he hang out with people like that? And Jesus, hearing this question, once again, gives an answer. He replies. And what he gives them are three parables, three stories that he tells in a row. He tells the story of a lost sheep. He tells the story of a lost coin. And then he tells the story of a lost son. We often refer to it as the prodigal son. And so Jesus is answering the question of why do I eat with sinners and tax collectors by telling us these three stories. And in those three stories, he is revealing a couple of things. He says, first of all, I eat with people like this because they are lost. These are people who are in need of salvation. In that story, in the stories of Luke 15, Jesus talks about a sheep that has gone astray. It's left the fold, it's out in the wilderness, and the shepherd goes and he finds it and he brings it back. In the parable of the lost coin, he speaks of a widow who loses a coin, a very valuable possession in her her life. It was part of a dowry that had been given to her. It was what she would make her substance on and her life uh, on, and she loses part of that. And so she sweeps the entire house until she can find it. And then in the story of the prodigal son, we know the story of a son who's gone into the wilderness. He's living in a faraway land. He is lost to his father. But yet the father is looking and waiting and longing for that son to return. So Jesus answers the question, I eat with people like this because they're lost. They need a savior. And that's exactly what Jesus is. But he also eats with people like this because he has a love for them. A love for them. When you go back to Luke 15 and you look at the stories that Jesus weaves together there, it's interesting how he tells them. It starts with the parable of the lost sheep, but in that story, there's a hundred sheep, one's lost. And then he tells us the story of the lost coin, but in that story, there are ten coins in total, but one is lost. And then in the story of the, the lost son, the prodigal son, there is a son, two sons actually, and one is lost. 
And Jesus, as a master storyteller, is weaving this together. And every time he tells a new story, he's ratcheting the level up. Oh, the shepherd loves one out of a hundred sheep. But how much more love was there from that woman who lost one out of ten coins? And then what greater love could there be for a father with his son? You see how Jesus is elevating uh, the tension in the story? And he's doing that because he's describing the love that he has for those that he's coming to rescue and to redeem. Jesus associates himself with sinners because they're lost and because he has a great love for them. And when we understand that about Jesus as the great physician of our souls, I think it begs the question for us. Do we associate ourselves with sinners and tax collectors? Are we more like Jesus in our association, or are we more like the Pharisees in our isolation? That's a tough question for us to answer this morning. We enjoy fellowship with other believers. We enjoy being part of a family of faith. We enjoy uh, living for Jesus as his followers, and that means we, we do certain things and we don't do certain things. But for some of us, sometimes it leads us to a separation and an isolation from those who live a different way. I would imagine today if you did an inventory, most of us would discover that most who we count as friends are those who already know Christ. We have very little interaction with those who don't know Jesus, of those who are in need of Jesus. But yet here we see Jesus hanging out with those who needed him the most. He was associating himself with those who were lost. He was associating himself for those whom he loved. So I wonder, who are you associating with today that needs Jesus? Who do you know that's lost? I'm reminded of the story of the late evangelist D.L. Moody. He was preaching a, a series of meetings over in London. And a British companion who was traveling with him uh, to those meetings was inquiring of him, why do you see so much success as an evangelist? Moody was used by God in an amazing way to call multitudes of people to faith in Jesus Christ. And this individual wanted to know what made him so successful. And so Moody directed the man to the window in his hotel room. He said, go and look out the window and tell me what do you see? The man pulled back the curtain. He looked down upon the square and he said, I just see a bunch of crowded streets. I see some people. I see some shops. I see uh, some scenes. I see the park. All of this that he could take in through his gaze. But Moody said, no, you need to look again. So the man looked once more. He mentioned once more the people, the women, the men, the children. Moody said, no, you've still not seen it. He said, look again and tell me what you see. Well, at this point, the man became frustrated. He wasn't seeing what Moody wanted him to see. And it was at that moment that Moody came to the window with the gentleman. And standing there with tears filling his eyes, he told the man, as I look out the window, I see people who are lost without Jesus. I see people who are going to hell without salvation. And he said, until you see people like that, you will not lead them to Christ. The Pharisees didn't see people who needed a Savior. The Pharisees simply saw people who weren't like them and they didn't like it. How often do we do the same? We see people who aren't like us. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. They don't worship like us. 
And we're prone to say we're going to isolate ourselves from you and sometimes get pharisaical with them and look down upon them for their their moral uh, wrongness. But instead, Jesus associates himself with those people. Let us learn from the great physician of souls that if we want to see people one to Christ, we must take Christ to them. So who do you associate with today that needs Jesus? I've shared with you before a couple of areas to think about this in your life, and I would challenge you with it once again. Think about at your own table. Who in your own family do you know needs Jesus? And what are you doing to share Jesus with them? How are you building a relationship to point them toward Christ? What about your mailbox? Right there in your own neighborhood, right there on your street, the people who live around you. Those people who don't get up and go to church on Sunday morning. Those people who play loud music and those people who don't believe like you believe. What are you doing to know them and to reach out to them and to point them towards Jesus? What about at your job, at the water cooler? Those that you work with. Oh yeah, they get on your nerves perhaps. They cut corners. They live in the gray area sometimes. They're not like you. But what are you doing to reach them? to point them towards Jesus. At the checkout line, where we do our business almost on a daily basis now, as we go to place to place, the people we see over and over again, are we building rapport with them to point them to Christ? And then what about your seat? And what I mean by that is the place that you go for your entertainment, the place where you, you live out your hobbies with others who enjoy the same thing. What are you doing to share Jesus with them? There are opportunities all around us. We live in the midst of tax collectors and sinners. Let us associate with them that we may point them to Christ. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Pastor Wayne, you're telling us to associate with sinners, and Jesus associated with sinners. But there's two things you need to know about this association. First of all, associating with them is not an excuse for their sins. Jesus, in his association for them, was not pardoning the sins that they were committing. He he was, in fact, calling them out of those sins. He was pointing them to the hope of the gospel. He was pointing them to a solution for their sickness. So he was not excusing their sins. The other thing we need to think about is that as we associate with those who are lost, it is not a permission for us to engage in sin. So it's neither an excuse or a call to engagement in things that aren't pleasing to the Lord. What we've got to remember is the boat must be in the water, but the water can't get in the boat. You understand what I'm saying there? As believers, we are in this world, Jesus said, but we are not of this world. We can have the greatest gospel ship in all the land, but if we're not selling that ship on the waters of a troubled sea, we'll never make a difference in the lives of those who are drowning. So we've got to get the boat in the water, but we've got to be careful about getting the water into the boat. But learn from Jesus today as our great physician. He makes himself available. He associates with sinners. But secondly, secondly, we see in the text this morning not only an association with sinners, but an awareness of our condition. An awareness of our condition. Jesus eats with sinners because he's the great physician of their soul. 
And Jesus understands what the great problem of the human soul is, sin. And Jesus, in these verses, calls us to that awareness as well. The Pharisees have missed the point because they don't see themselves in need of a Savior. If we would know Jesus as a great physician, if we would know him as the Savior of our souls, it would mean that we have recognized the sickness of our souls. We would know the reality of our sin. I'm afraid, however, that a lot of times we're more like the Pharisees in the text than we are the Levites. We fancy ourselves as good people. But I want you to know this morning, that's not the case. I want to let you know, and I know you didn't come to church this morning to hear this, but I'm just going to remind you, you are not good people. I'm not a good person. That goes contrary to everything that we want to think about ourselves, but that's biblically true. You are not good. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters a young man who's coming to him wanting eternal life. And he approaches Jesus and he says to him, good master, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why are you calling me good? There is none good but one, God alone. You know what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3? There is none righteous, no, not one. And what we've got to remind ourselves of this morning is that even the good things that we often do, they're tainted by sin as well. In Isaiah chapter 64, Isaiah declares that all of our righteousnesses, all of our good works are as but as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. Now, that's not very popular preaching in our culture today, but I think it's very biblical preaching. We are not good people. And until we recognize that and understand that, we'll never truly recognize Jesus as the great physician of our soul. The greatest threat to our spiritual well-being this morning isn't our immorality, but rather our morality. Let me say that again. The greatest threat to the spiritual well-being of our soul is not our immorality, but our morality. It's thinking that we are okay, that we are good, that we've got this thing figured out, that we're not really all that bad. No, you really are all that bad. I've told you before that those sweet little things we call kids and babies, as precious and as much joy as they bring to our lives, they have hearts that are blacker than 10,000 midnights. Well, you've got that same heart in you as well. We are not good people. Even the good that we do is tainted still by sin. We're more sinful today than we ever dared imagine. And that we know that is a good thing. That we understand that is a good thing. It's what Jesus is saying here in our text. As the great physician of our soul, he ministers to, he practices upon those who recognize the sickness that they have, that recognize that they are sinners before a holy God. Robert Murray McShane was a preacher and an evangelist in Scotland years and years and years ago. Some of you may be familiar with his Bible reading plan. It's a very popular plan that you can read through the Bible in the course of of a year if you follow it. But listen to what he said. He says, we need to learn much of our own hearts. And when you have learned all that you can, he says, remember, 
you have seen but a few yards into a pit that is unfathomable. He rightly understands the condition of our hearts. They're far darker and more bleak than we could ever begin to comprehend. And we must know this. We must know that as the Bible speaks of those who are immoral, as the Bible speaks of those who are greedy, as the Bible speaks of those who are revilers and swindlers and idolaters, those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, it's talking about us. I think sometimes we read these verses and we read the accounts of sinners that Jesus encounters in the gospel and uh, the things that Paul writes about sinners in the New Testament. We think, man, those are some awful people. That's you. That's me. That's us before a holy God. When we talk about a person being good, we are placing them upon a horizontal spectrum. And we say, this is a good person because they pay their bills and they contribute to society. They love their family. They they feed their dog. They cut their grass. These are good people. They don't use drugs. They don't do anything really, really crazy. These are good people. And we look at that down the spectrum when we see people over here who do gross things, heinous things, mistreat people. Uh, They're just people who are evil. And in comparison to those people, we say, man, we're good. And on a horizontal spectrum, you're absolutely right. I'm not denying that there is not a horizontal spectrum in our society today of people who are good and bad. Good and evil. But here's what I want to remind you of this morning is that God does not look at us based upon a horizontal spectrum. He looks at us based on a vertical one. And on that vertical spectrum, what you have is God and everybody else. And in that case, God is good and we are not. We are sinners. And Jesus here in the text as the great physician of our soul calls us to that realization He calls us to recognize our sinful state. That is who he has come for. That is who he is accessible to. Those who know their sin. Dane Ortland has said it well. You cannot feel the weight of your sinfulness strongly enough. May God help us today to feel the weight of our sin. The purpose of that is the third point. It brings us to the antidote of the gospel. The antidote of the gospel. It's only as we recognize our sinful state before a holy God that we understand the need of a Savior in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that's why he's come. He's come not to save Pharisees because they have no need of salvation in their eyes. They're good, they're upright, they're upstanding. They keep the moral law, but their hearts are black and stained with sin. Even their good is about exalting themselves in pride. And Jesus says, there's no hope for you because you don't recognize your need of a Savior. You don't see your sinful condition. But for those who do, there is a cure. There's a cure today. There's a remedy. And it's the gospel And that gospel is Jesus himself. Jesus calls us to himself in repentance and faith to trust in him as the one who makes us acceptable before a holy God. And that's why it's so important that we see our sin. 
Because unless we do, we'll never truly see Jesus. What Levi and the tax collectors and the sinners got here in the text and what the Pharisees missed was their sinful condition. And because Levi and the tax collectors and the sinners knew who they were and what they needed, Jesus was available for them. And today, if you'll see yourself as a sinner, Jesus is available for you. He's available for you today to call upon his name and be saved. You see, before it ever becomes good news, we've got to understand the bad news. And a lot of people don't like the bad news. They like the idea of heaven and living forever. They like the idea that they got some means that they can pray and all these other benefits that come along with knowing Christ. But they've never understood the bad news. And if you don't understand the bad news, you'll never love Jesus enough to understand the good news. But when you know that you're a sinner, you'll run to Jesus as a Savior. And he'll administer the antidote of the gospel. The old hymn writer captured it well. None else can heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can. So today, if you're here and you're a sinner, I call you to Christ today. To come to him and believe in him. To repent of your sins and acknowledge your sin before him. And trust in him as the only hope of salvation. He's here today to save your soul. And child of God, today as a follower of Christ, recognize the sin that still remains in you. That's not a bad thing for a believer. For as we recognize our sinfulness, it pushes us closer and closer to Jesus as well. The gospel is our cure. So let us feel the weight of our sin and let us run to the good physician of our soul.